Before the show starts, we have a recommendation for you. If you live in the Gloucestershire area, then please check out the Artisan Baker in the Five Valley Shopping Centre in Stroud. Although, regular visitors to Stroud will have certainly seen the Artisan Baker stall in the Stroud Farmer's Market, which is on every Saturday. Why do we recommend the Artisan Baker? Quite simply, the food is divine and made with tender loving care by Ori and his team. Check it out, you will not be disappointed. Oh, and if it's not too busy when you're there, ask Ori about his connection to the movie Last Christmas. It is a fascinating story. The Artisan Baker, Five Valley Shopping Centre in Stroud, well worth a visit. Let's go on with the show. Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. Welcome to our latest review show. This month our reviews include The Trial of the Chicago 7, Vampires vs. the Bronx and Vamp. We also take time out to discuss the life and work of Sean Connery. That was Neil, by the way, not my excellent impression from last month, which many people have said is better than the real thing. <laughs> anyway, then we, have, then we have Darren's Dash. This month's selection includes Host, Vivarium, and Neil's favourite, Girls with Balls. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. Now, as we record this show, Joe Biden has only recently won the election. Finally, some good news for 2020. But even that was a horrible experience. It went on for days with seemingly one vote counted per hour. It became like my bet noir, cricket. A game that goes on for months, where once an hour someone throws a stone at some wood stuck in the ground. Thankfully, it's over now. Right results achieved, and let's hope they make it into a film and not a miniseries. Graham, over to you to bat. <laughs> Good grief. Hi, my name is Graham. My main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies. Hi, my name is Neil, <laughs> and I just wanted to say, Jeff, you are rubbish. <laughs> not liking cricket is is an abomination. <laughs> Phil, um, can I stand up for cricket as well? Yeah, certainly. Right, the, <laughs> the greatest can, yeah. sport ever invented. Um, hi, yeah, I'm Phil. You may or may not read my blog, uh, which is philthebearblog.wordpress.com. Darren. Hi, my name is Darren, and working in a bookshop, I've done lots and lots of book signings with cricketers, and they're all arseholes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Darren, don't side with Jeff. I mean, so, he didn't say the sport was bad; just the people who play yeah. it. So, and, and you know, you know, Michael, Michael Vaughan yeah. hasn't covered himself in glory on Twitter recently. So, good point. Yes. So, thanks, oh. guys. Before we talk movies, I'd like to chat a little about the sad passing of Sir Sean Connery. Do you think I'm a god? <laughs> <laughs> a god. Supposing you got killed, eh? Supposing that, where would I be at? Won't happen again. See it, don't you? What you carrying that arrow around for? Am I a dog or a god? Haven't I put the shadow of my hand over this country? Do as I say, send for the guard. Tell him it's an order. You haven't negotiated with the Japanese before? Negotiated? Mm. Perhaps I can suggest the strategy. 
golf is how they do business. This is very important for what I do. Well, I guess that makes everything all white now, doesn't it? You must learn to conceal your special gift and harness your power until the time of the gathering. How did you know I had a gun? What do you want, a free lesson in police work? You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. Isn't that just like a wobble? Brings a knife to a gunfight. Get out of here, you dago bastard! The quest for the grail is not archaeology. It's a race against evil. Can we discuss this later? Or she'd have mailed it to the Marx brothers. Will you take it easy? Take it easy? Why do you think I sent it home in the first place so it wouldn't fall into their hands? I came here to save you! Oh, yeah? And who's gonna come to save you, Junior? I told you! Don't call me Junior. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. Mr. Bond, I suppose you wouldn't care to, um, raise the limit? I have no objections. The purpose of the is illegal. Make sure when your shift is over, you go home alive. Here endeth the lesson. Now, he's been with us for all of our cinema-going lives, regardless of when we started that journey. Connery is best remembered for being James Bond. However, he's also been in some magnificent films, such as his Oscar-winning Triumph of the Untouchables, and also The Offence, The Rock, The Name of the Rose, and Highlander, to name but a few. So, guys, we can't let this pass without comment. What did Sir Sean mean to you and what do you think were his highlights neil i'll pass to you first truly a great man a sad moment for film goers and i'd like to add the man who would be king into your list one mm. of my favorites films and and connery and michael kane friends in real life thoroughly enjoying themselves and it shows yeah they made a number of films together as well oh, i think that one was excellent watched it a few weeks ago darren uh, well, you stole my thunder there a little bit because I was going to say the man who would be king. Sorry, it's, it's one of my favorite. Yeah, no, it's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. But, but you know, the chemistry with those two is just off the charts. You know, Sean Connery's hilarious in it. It's quite a really sad film, but it's it's you know such a great movie. It's hard to basically disassociate him with, when you talk about Sean Connery with James Bond because he owned that role so well in his first run that I think. He almost cast a shadow over every James Bond who came after him. And I don't think he, until you got to Daniel Craig, you had somebody who could basically sort of own it as, as much as he did. I mean, he had the sort of, all the hallmarks of Bond, he had the, you know, the dangerousness, the viciousness, the, the humour, and just the, you know, the, the suaveness that he would sort of you know, deliver the lines. And let's face it, some of the, the lines he had to deliver it. You know, anybody else doing them would sound really, really corny. But he did it with enough self-awareness and style. It worked for him. Later on, even in stuff like, you know, like Highlander, and like you say, The Untouchables, he was stealing films left, right and centre. His very last film that he, he did, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, even though that's a film that a lot of people are, are sort of really down on, I, I thought he brought a bit of flair to that. I've, I, I think it was a, you know, a really great sort of action 
adventure film for him to basically sort of leave us on and what a legacy he's left behind. I agree. I, I think League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I know what went on behind the scenes there, but I think it's a reasonable entertainment. Phil? So my first ever knowing remembrance of Sean Connery in film, my 13th birthday, we rented out Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I didn't know who he was, and he appears right at the very end, spoiler alert. And my parents were both like really like, oh yeah, it's Sean Connery. And it was a big deal for them. And it kind of, it rung out to me because I didn't know who he was, but they both sort of had this amazing reaction to the fact that he sort of popped up at the end of this film. After that, it was kind of intriguing as to you know, find out why it was that they liked him so much. And obviously everyone's mentioned Bond, which I think he is and always probably will be the best Bond there is. And I particularly like From Russia With Love because it was just set on that train and you got to see his sort of fighting prowess as well. But the film that probably really stood out for me, other than the ones you mentioned, like The Rock and The Untouchables, is The Hunt for Red October. Oh, yes. Because in that one, he has like this real battle of wits with... It's Alec Baldwin, isn't it, I think? Um, yeah. Uh, Alec Baldwin plays Jack Ryan, yeah. It's one of those films where despite the fact that you always get him with a slight Scottish accent, no matter what he's trying to do. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it didn't matter. So No, no, it doesn't, um, does it? He is a great, um, he'll always be remembered. And, and one of the things I always sort of do wonder about is what would have happened if Peter Jackson had persuaded him to spend four or five years of his life in New Zealand. Yeah, that would have been interesting, although I think McKellen made that part his own. Graham? I mean, for me, he was a charismatic leading man. I mean, he could walk the walk and he could talk the talk. And he's just left behind a formidable body of work. He remains the finest actor who ever played the role of James Bond, as we've all said. And he also has such a diverse catalogue of roles. Even mediocre sci-fi scripts like Meteor and Outland uh, were livened up. Meteor is awesome. But it was livened up by his, his charisma. By a great script. God <laughs> almighty. <laughs> okay, Jesus right, Christ. I'm going to interrupt you when you're burbling on. <laughs> no, it was. It was really livened up by his charisma and authority. And a film fan, the most remarkable thing for me about Connery is that he always seemed to own the characters he played. The Bond character is obvious, but I would also point to his note-perfect portrayal of the Franciscan friar William of Baskerville in Umberto Eco's The Name of the Rose, which I loved. And and again, as, as Phil said, The Hunt for Red October, where he uses his commanding presence to play the smart, driven, and intimidating Captain Marco R- Rumius, is it? Rumius or Marco Rubio. Like <laughs> no, d- very different. <laughs> Yeah, he's an actor of the old school whose like we may never see again. And uh, so, Sean, I will miss you. We all will. Yeah, yeah I, for me, I remember the first Bond film I ever saw was You Only Live Twice, and that was my introduction to Connery. And it stands out for me because we had a cinema not too far from the end of the road where I grew up, and at nine years old I was allowed to go down on my own to watch that film. It just struck me it's still one of my favorite bond films is he the best bond actor well no he would have been had it not been for timothy dalton who <laughs> played the bond of the book uh, of course is the right nationality for the role but sir sean was great i mean for me 
you know, The Offense is one of the great dramas of the 70s and one of the most underrated films of the 70s. Very tough film, even today to watch. I love The Wind and the Lion, which is coming up on a future Remembering the Classics with Elijah. One nobody shouted out for, which I'm surprised at, was Time Bandits. Mm. Yeah. The one I yeah. just remembered <laughs> is he's Indiana Jones's dad. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yes. Despite I, them only being 11 years apart in age. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Entrapment as well. I, I really enjoyed that. I think League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, despite the problems he had with the director, has come out reasonably well. And I know that we're mired in some controversy on an interview we did in 1965. All I would say to those people is that is wrong by any stretch of the imagination. However, you need to look at his upbringing and the time and place where that was said. So I think as an actor, I agree with Graham. I think that an actor of the old school, the like of which we probably won't see again, and the last man standing here is Sir Michael Caine. I think he's great. His films will live on. Absolutely fantastic. You said Time Bandits. You know why he took the part of Time Bandits? Because he saw the margin note uh, from Michael Palin, which said, for this role, we need Sean Connery or someone with equal but cheaper stature. (laughs) (laughs) And and do you know the reason why he took it after that? (laughs) No. Because he was in a golf tournament not too far from where they were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> location, location, location. Exactly. Yeah. And he developed <laughs> this love of golf when making Goldfinger. I have told this story on another podcast, but I will end up with it here as well. Sean Connery was a job in actor for many years, and he was making The Longest Day. Coming back on the train, there was him and some other actors, and a young reporter at the time, Barry Norman. And Barry Norman went up to Sean Connery and said, okay, you finished on this. What are you doing next? He said, oh, just um, I'm playing James Bond. I don't know if it'll be any good, but we'll give it a go. And with that, a career was born. Yeah. Impossible to imagine that now, isn't it? James well, Bond might be all right. Might feel <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I don't think he ever really took to the role, to be honest. I mean, I know it made him, but he kept feeling they were ripping him off financially anyway. They offered him £1.25 million pounds for uh, Diamonds Are Forever, yeah, and he turned reason, it down. There's a reason why he took it, because they offered him three films. Any three films he wanted to make, one of those three was The Offence. So that's why he did uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, okay. He got £3 million for uh, Never Say Never Again, didn't he? Yes. That was to cover some bad investments that he'd made, apparently. Hmm. Isn't that the all-time pub quiz question about who's played James Bond the most? Because that brings him level with Roger Moore, but you can't count it because it's not an official film. Well, it depends on who the question master is, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, I, think, I think I'm just disgruntled because I, I didn't get the point once in a pub quiz years ago. <laughs> Do you know the original ending for Never Say Never Again? He was walking down the street in London. He walked straight past Roger Moore, and they stop and turn and look at one another. Oh God, Doctor but, Who moment. But the, bro- <laughs> the broccoli stopped it. God, I'm not surprised. Was Roger Moore up for that, was he? Yes. Oh, him and Roger Moore were, were firm friends. There's a clip flying around on the Oscars of Connery, Michael Caine, and Roger Moore. T9, I think it was. At one point, there were talk about him being in Skyfall. Yes, he, the Albert Finney part. Yeah, it, it was going to be, yeah. Oh. oh, wow. That would have been I good. Thought, that would have been great. 
I mean, Albert Finney's good, but yes, it, it would have been uh, nice to they, see Sean again. They wouldn't have got him back because nah. he turned down Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Now, I know not for the reason <laughs> you guys are thinking. <laughs> he said, you know, Dodged a bullet, you may yeah, not turned it down. It, you know, he said, if there's any group of actors and production team I'd, I'd like to work with, it's these guys. But I'm done. I'm enjoying my life now. A great man and a sad moment for film goes. Graham, I pass over to you. Indeed. Okay, let's see if our films under review this month live up to that stature. We start with the trial of the Chicago 7. Are the people ready to make opening arguments? At the defense table. Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Rennie Davis, Lee Weiner, John Freund, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. My trial's begun without my lawyer. The court assumes you are being represented by the Black Panther sitting behind you. The riots were started by the Chicago Police Department. Sustained. Nobody objected. Jurors 6 and 11, they're with us. Juror number 6 and juror number 11, you're dismissed from this jury. Can you tell us why? Because this is my courtroom. We've dealt with jury tampering, wiretapping, a defendant that was literally gagged. Get your hands off me! the first to suggest that I have discriminated against a black man. Then let the record show that I'm the second. If we leave here without saying anything about why we came in the first place, it'll be heartbreaking. Well, last summer, why did you come to the convention? To end the war. We're giving them exactly what they want, a stage and an audience. Yeah, you really think there's going to be a big audience? Here I am! This is what revolution looks like, real revolution. We may have to hurt somebody's feelings. Is this prosecution politically motivated? I'm tired of hearing you. It would be impossible for me to care any less what you are tired of. Here I am! There will be more! We have to find some courage now. How much is it worth to you? What's your price? Originally planned for cinemas and now available via Netflix, writer-director Aaron Sorkin recreates the events around the anti-Vietnam protest at the Democratic Convention in 1968. The main focus of the film, however, is the lengthy trial that followed when it seemed American liberty itself was in the dock. Phil, do you think a film about events over 50 years ago has relevance today? Yeah, absolutely. It's yet another film that's actually quite heartbreaking to think that it's 52 years ago, but it's really so prescient to now. And I did get a slight kick out of one of the protesters outside the court in sort of the early stages of the film. has got a placard that says, lock them up on it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is a must-watch film. It is absolutely brilliant. Aaron Sorkin is the perfect match for the material. He's um, the writer of The Social Network, Steve Jobs and Moneyball, and he's done the TV series West Wing and Newsroom. So you can almost sort of just from that list of things know what you're getting. You're going to get a really entertaining, really gripping film that's got some really funny comic moments in it, but it's going to have lots of characters, a complex plot, and everyone's going to talk really fast and really intelligently. It gripped me throughout. There's there's a lot of people in this, but um, I wanted to talk about two in particular. 
who I thought you know stood out as the best. So in the same month that Borat's subsequent movie film comes out, this is the one that really shows that Sasha Baron Cohen can act. He is really, really good in this, both as a dramatic actor and somebody with great comic timing. His double act with Jeremy Strong is fantastic, and most of the laughs during the film will come from those two. But, you know, at the same time, he's using that humour to make really important, valid points. And the other standout for me is what is sort of uh, made out to be the villain of the film, really, your focus for your outrage, and it will have you outraged, and you will want to smash the TV sometimes in frustration. And that's the judge that's played by Frank Langella. I always remember him as Skeletor from Masters of the Universe. So um, (laughs) this is a much better villain. Um, You know, this is a guy who's got all the power in this courtroom. His prejudices and beliefs, you know, really colour the way that, you know, the trial goes. All in all, just really thoroughly enjoyed it. It flew past, really gripping, really funny, just really, really good. Can I just pick up on what you're saying on Sasha Baron Cohen? Because I think that double act, Sasha Baron Cohen and Jeremy Strong, it's almost like the comic chorus in a Shakespearean play. So they've got some really funny lines. They do some outrageous things. But when some shocking things happen, like the guy being tied and, and gagged, the look of horror on their faces reflect the audience. And I think that standing as that almost Shakespearean chorus is phenomenal work for both actors i read as well and i don't know how true it was obviously sorkin it's his script and you know again from his things that he's done you you know that his script is probably you know a sacred thing but i read that he did sometimes have um disagreements with those two actors because obviously they're quite improvisational i'd be very interested to find out how much managed to make its way into the film that wasn't in the script in the days of director's commentaries, we might find that out, but I don't think we get those anymore. Unfortunately not, no, unless it comes a Criterion film and they'll do everything they can to give you the complete experience. Graham? I just thought this was fantastic uh, and shocking. And again, yeah, I agree with Phil. There, there is a temptation at parts to put your boot right through the TV. It's so, so frustrating. And the fact that it's based on a real story just makes it completely unbelievable. You just cannot believe that things like that went on in a Western court, and particularly in Chicago. It's just unbelievable. The thing that got me was that there's no such thing as a political trial. And that's shown to be false from the very first minute. Uh, This is not a spoiler. The film starts off with Nixon's attorney general instructing his legal team to set up a show trial featuring seven anti-Vietnam War protesters. It's shocking. And we're just left asking, why did these seven men face trial when the previous administration had decided there was no criminal intent and that the actual provocation for the for the riots came from the police? It was just incredible. The whole scene setting and the way the structure of the, the actual film was fantastic. I thought uh, Mark Rylance as the defense attorney is exceptional. He delivers Sorkin's complex crafted script with a 
world weariness and a palpable sense of frustration and the intense practiced interrogation with Eddie Redmayne's character was just a standout moment for me. Now, I have to correct you, Phil, I'm sorry. So there's a there's a comedian called Sasha Baron Cohen. I don't know who this guy in this is, because <laughs> this is not the same guy. It just cannot be the same guy that made that horrible film. What was it, Sheffield or something? Where he's... Yeah, Grimsby. <laughs> Grimsby. I knew it was somewhere, yeah, no, somewhere up north. Somewhere up north, eh? <laughs> up north. Sorry, Darren. <laughs> Sheffield. <laughs> but yeah, he was on fire in this. I was rolling about the floor at some of his wisecracking comic moments and the the line i loved was give me a second dude it's not every day i'm on trial for my thoughts and that just like that just my head snapped up when he said that was brilliant yeah a great two hours entertainment and really shocking okay you and aaron song in fan graham oh yeah from the uh, west wing and the newsroom loved it Excellent. Yeah, Neil. I just oh, I, I've never worked with people that were that smart and could deliver constant smart lines all the time. So it's quite refreshing. Well, well, well <laughs> you you work with me, Graham. That's exactly my point. You see, it just went straight over your head there, Jeff. Neil. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to agree with, of course, um, Aaron Sorkin. You, don't tell me I agree with Graham. <laughs> it's razor sharp. Obviously, it appeals to my liberal sensibilities, terrible things happened, etc. And I didn't know the story, um, and it is shocking. It's a fascinating look at uh, something that really shouldn't have happened. Um, Mark Rylance, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. All all the acting was brilliant, and it, I just felt it missed something in the direction. Uh, I mean, Bobby Seale, leader of the Black Panthers, is manacled and gagged, and, this, and, it's, and then we move away. He was there for three days manacled and gagged i think he just moved away he wanted didn't really want to concentrate on that bit we got a bit of bobby seal but not much and it was left to sort of uh, peter bradshaw i read his and he said it was left for the um seven white liberals to show their shock well it should have been a bit more on him i think i think it could have done with the director it's still a great watch, and it's as I say, it's a piece of history I didn't really know. I thought Frank Langella was outstanding. He was absolutely a terrible, terrible judge, of course, but he really was good. It resonated with great power. It was a complete disregard for the Constitution. It's an obscenely political trial. Michael Keaton, of course, uh, chose the scenery. I just felt that there was something something wrong i like molly's game which is his other directing but again that one got slated a bit i just felt that there's some times when there should have been fire and passion it was missing it was just a camera in front of the bloke talking so yeah it's still good still better than any other film we saw this month thank you darren this might be probably my fa- the favourite sort of Netflix exclusive film that they've done. I, f- I thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, I am a real sucker for these sort of films where they take uh, you know real life events but present them in a really entertaining way. And the format that they used of having these multiple having flashbacks, but also having like you know multiple uh, multiple narration and viewpoints and stuff like you had you know one guy on the stage doing sort of talking to a um, an audience and stuff like that. The, the thing that really I loved about this film is it shows how diverse the like protest movements really are. 
you sort of see nowadays that there seems to be there's this like lack of nuance but it has to be a thing that you have to sort of conform to every single aspect of a sort of particular um political um cause and in this one it showed that there were people from all different types of backgrounds there were people from academia from like just you know there was one guy who was just from like a, a regular sort of you know family life and in you know, obviously you got the, the black panthers and everything but it shows that there was like a, a diverse range of people protesting with their own agendas with their own strategies with their own way and, and i think that was like you know re- really important to, to to notice and you talk about the actual the political nature of the trial what one thing that sort of really struck me is um there were two on trial who they didn't really know why they were there and uh, the sasha uh, baron uh, character said to them your role is you're the guys that get off because you're the ones that basically yeah, you're that found innocent so you're yeah you're the ones that sort of are like you know you're like the appeasement as it as it was you know and, and i thought that was just showing how cynical the the whole process of everything actually was. I just thought that was just a, you know a, a great moment. But yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. My, my only the only thing that sort of you could tell it was maybe he tried to squeeze all these different issues and everything into a sort of into a film narrative and sort of tie it up with sort of like a feel good conclusion at the end. So that. To me, maybe we just felt a little bit clumsy, but but one of the things that really surprised me because afterwards I sort of with, with anything like this, there's a lot of artistic license use. So I, I sort of read up on what was actually true and what was being sort of exaggerated and stuff, and I came across William Kustner's actual um, his closing arguments and his speeches. They were absolutely fantastic, and I really think that I know they went with the sort of with the Vietnam. A name listing that's as sort of like a sort of like a defiant end, but the the actual you know the speech that Kustner did was absolutely amazing, where he sort of praised the rebels and the alternative people, and, and the you know said that you know they're the ones that make the stand, they're the ones that, in a way you know the, the the real sort of you know American heroes and stuff, and and I think the words that he used was like would have gone really well down in the film, so I was surprised that they didn't use those. But you know, but generally, I, I just thought this was like an absolutely amazing film. I'm, I'm, you know, probably, I'm sure it's going to be about come by the end of the year. It's going to be one of my favourites of the year. Yeah, I would agree with you, Dan. It'd certainly be in my listing of um, the top ten. It has everything in there. I like politics, a decent Aaron Sorkin script. I was a little bit concerned when I read up after about some of the events they changed, such as when they went back to the park, you know, in the film, they showed the police waiting for them. That didn't happen like that. They went into the park, some issues happened, and then the police came into the park. Also, the David Dellinger character, played by the wonderful John Carroll Lynch, you know, is a wonderful actor, wonderful performance. He never hit anybody, and they show him hitting somebody in the film. That never happened. He was a lifelong pacifist. So I, I felt that was a cheap shot. The Richard Schultz character, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, wasn't the liberal they show him in the film. He was uh, he went along with it completely. But these are minor carpins. It is a great film, I agree. The performances, Sasha Baron Cohen was great. Frank Langella, who I'd seen recently again in the 1979 version of Dracula, where he's fantastic, is amazing in this film. And I kept thinking I was, uh, as I was watching this, what's the relevance of this film today? And it clearly is there. You know, you've got, we're coming out in America, we're hopefully coming through period of near fascism. 
where so many things were questioned about what we would accept as norm. And this film reflects on that. So it is a look at where we are today as much as it is an in part historic document of the 60s. So I think Sorkin, who is one of the major American screenwriters, has, has done it again. I know this originally was going to go into cinemas and they managed to get it into a couple of cinemas in Los Angeles in October. And I would hope to see this uh, getting all sorts of awards in next year's Oscars. Because let's face it, there's not many films out there to compete against, is there? On that note, I heard that the whole cast would be running as supporting actors. So that's I understood that none of them would be placed as a, a lead actor and they would all be thrown into the wow. of supporting That's so you it. might end up in a situation where there'd be two or three of them nominated and they kind of then it becomes an issue as to whether they kind of get in each other's way but i think we've spoken long on this but i think we picked the two actors who are going to get nominated that's sasha baron cohen and franklin geller mm. you know, as great as mark rylance is as great as joseph gordon livett is they're not going to do it no it is a major american work Excellent film. That is our view on the trial of the Chicago 7. Let's talk family horror with The Lie. Hey, bet they thought they were going to get away with this, huh? Excuse me? Brittany and Kayla didn't make it to the dance camp. Didn't the school call you? I know. Kayla's sick. I kept her home this weekend. I was sure they were doing this together. You know, they're with their secret plans. No way. What? Dad, pull over. It's Brit. What are you doing here? I'm going to that stupid ballet thing. Duh. You think I could talk to Kayla? Her dad took her to the doctor. Can she call me when she's back? Of course. <laughs> you need to tell her dad that you don't know where she is. No. Hey, what happened to your face? Looks like you got hit. Is there a bathroom nearby? Can we pull over now? Where's your friend? Oh. Whatever this game is that you're playing, it's over. Where's Brittany? Get off me! Get out of here! I'm going to the police. Brittany! How do you want to do something really bad? I pushed her. <laughs> she fell. The second degree murder. Whatever you want to believe. Uh, for anybody listening to this, if you haven't seen it, skip forward 10 minutes because we are <laughs> going to be talking big spoilers in a minute. Currently showing on Amazon Prime is this thriller from Bloomhouse Productions, best known for their horror movies. Jay, Peter Skarsgård, is taking his daughter Kyla, Joey King, and her friend Brittany, Deviri Jacobs, to a dance camp. On the way, they make a rest stop, a stop that leads to a compulsive action, creating a family lie, which has catastrophic effects. Darren, did you believe the plight these people got themselves into? I thought it started really well. I thought the premise was very tense and intriguing. Um, you didn't quite know what had gone on and, and, and the scenario that they found themselves in. And then the whole thing just completely ground to a halt. 
it was so slow. Mm. It was so slow. But the dialogues, considering the predicament that they found themselves in, there was just basically no tension. You know, this, the scenes with the dialogue were so slow and boring. It, I mean, it didn't help that the, the, the mum character was so sm- soft-spoken. She was she was mumbling. I was drifting off at times. There were several sort of, you know, good twists in there. The more they tried to cover up what had happened, the worse things got, and the more the th- things they had to cover up of that, and it just sort of escalated. But it was just so dull. When it got to the, the end and everything sort of like, you know, you find out what it's all been about and the twist and everything, the looks on the parents' faces just put me into hysterics. And and I, and I don't know if that, if that was the reaction I was supposed to be getting, if I was supposed to be finding it funny like I did. You know, the end where they're, sort of, where they're all sort of like hugging the girl and the blank looks on the faces. I expected them just to turn around to the camera at one point and just goes, effing kids. <laughs> I think it probably been a good ending. But, uh, you know, that, it was... <laughs> That's brilliant. It was just such a slow... Any, anything would have been better, Darren. Yeah, a, a, anything. <laughs> and, and and yeah, it was just so slow. You know, the, the only thing that was sort of interesting was that it put you in the position that you were kind of having to side with his family that had done this horrible thing. And the father, who was just trying to find out what had happened to his daughter... He almost cast him as the villain because, you know, there was sort of, you know, the tension as he was trying to sort of knock on their door and the girl's hiding. It's like, oh, my God, he's going to find everything. And this poor bugger, oh, he's just trying to find out what's going on with his daughter. It was boring and I absolutely really disliked it. He actually put me off because this is like a, I think it's a set of four films that Blumhouse have given to Amazon Prime. And if this is what the others are like, this really put me off watching any of the others. Well, strong words, Darren. I wonder who picked this film. Phil, over to you. <laughs> yeah, what can I say? Um, Jeff said to me, Blumhouse are good putting four horror films onto Amazon. Can you watch the trailers and pick the one that you think you know would look the best? And so, what uh, can uh, say, uh, uh, I, I, Sorry, Phil. I also added one that didn't scare the shit out of Neil yeah. too much. Okay, so that is true. I did have oh, the We should have gone with was, one that scared the crap yeah. out of me. So, so yes, I was looking for the ones that weren't going to be really scary for for the other guys, but I did pick this one because I thought the premise sounded good. And what can I say? I apologise profusely. (laughs) I mean, because frankly, this is diabolically bad. It is awful. And Darren just said it. I plan to watch all four of these Blumhouse films, and I haven't got past this one. (laughs) I just haven't seen any of the others because this is just awful. It's billed as a psychological thriller, but I think the word thriller is an offence to the use of the English language. Um, And it frankly was kind of like, the way I could describe it is it's like a philosophy lecture at a university where it's kind of try and get people talking about how a lie could snowball, except I also feel like I might be offending philosophy uh, professors and students by just saying that as well. It's just terrible. I hated it. It's cliche. It's boring. It was slow. Oh, don't watch it. Just don't. Don't do it to yourself. Neil. Well, I, it's not like I can uh, disagree with them. It, it was terrible. Neil, you never disagree with anybody that's gone before oh, sure. you. I'll disagree with you to the end of the, the end of days. From the point when they Peter Sarsgaard bundles his daughter back into the car after she said she killed her friend, 
and they don't ring the police and he says, look, you didn't push her. That's it. Just say that. Um, he should have phoned the police at that point. Maybe they could have been a film out of that. I don't know. But it just, I just thought, that is so stupid. It's ridiculous. To be honest, the mother's disintegration was, was actually quite well done. Peter Sarsgaard, I don't know. The twist for crying out loud. It's just unrealistic nonsense. Obviously, everybody's sitting on the fence so far. Just getting a bit worried. <laughs> Graham, what have you got to say? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was the best <laughs> thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I thought it was shockingly bad. It just didn't work. I had to have two goes at it. Like Darren says, it just falls off a cliff after about 20 minutes. And I took about half an hour of that, and I couldn't stand it anymore, and I just switched it off and walked away, and I had to have another go at it this morning to finish it off. It was terrible. I thought it was really badly paced. I thought the scene, when it moved from scene to scene, it was actually quite jarring. I just could not get on with it at all. Twist at the end, why didn't they just punch that girl? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) really, slapper. Um, and, and tonight, Graham is Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, uh, no, I don't think there'd be a jury in the land that would say that wasn't the right action for a snotty little teenager to perform that sort of thing and get people badly injured, if not killed. I love Scandi dramas. There are a million of them far better than this. Why did Bloomhouse have to pick the one out of a million that was terrible? I've sat and listened to this for 10 minutes and, and oh. feel there's a little bit of misogyny coming in because this oh, is by a woman, Venus said, uh, who I think her direction style was really good. And I've been listening to you guys and I'm wondering why the hatred? And I think there's two reasons for that. Reason one, which is... Unfair, it's a shit. <laughs> is, is because it's a, a remake of a German film, Wehr Monster, the fact that it's an English language version of a foreign language film means Neil's instantly down on it before anything else. That's true. <laughs> the second is the the film it reminded me most of is a Coen Brother film. No, it's Fargo. Oh, no, no, no. And you know it it has that Fargo esque quality about it. Oh, it's not, <laughs> Jeff. Absolute tosh. No, you're no, just trying to be. No, I'm not. I did quite like it. You're trying but, to be oh, contrary. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realise I couldn't have my own opinion. Thank, <laughs> you, for that. Thank you for that one, Donald. And, that's, um, that's not an opinion, Jeff. That's no, just the ravings no, of a lunatic no, 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 mind. The, the cinematography on the film by uh, Peter Warnstoff, he's done really well in his career. The music score by Tamakali is very reminiscent of Carter Burwell's work for the Coen brothers. And I just felt the flaw with the film, which I will go with you on, I think is a flaw, is that twist at the end. Once that twist is revealed, the whole thing falls apart. Jeff, the flaw is when it started. (laughs) I have an open mind, Neil. That's the difference between them. In Vermonter, the twist is revealed quite early on in the film. So you know... And this is a spoiler alert. This is your final warning. Shift on 10 minutes. You know that the other girl's still alive. Now, at that point, you then see unfolding this character drama where it ends in murder. 
but you're looking at it from the, the point of view is you know the girl's alive. So when they do it the other way round in this film, it's not revealed until the end. It sort of falls apart on you because there's all sorts of things that have to be in place. The worst being that she left her mobile phone behind. I'm sorry. If any teenage girl's left alive, the mobile phone would have to be taken out of her cold, dead hand. Yeah, so, is, is to have that sort of twist, you would need to build up some goodwill. And there's like you have none. There's like literally no goodwill from anybody watching this film after the first 25 minutes. The reason you don't have goodwill is because these characters do repellent things. And the question you ask is, you know, if you're in a Coen Brothers film, and, and to be honest, they're probably learning lessons from this film so that it could help them in future <laughs> films. What would you do in that situation? So I think... Phone the not, police and tell her daughter to lie. You get back to the car. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's... And, yeah, this is what Hitchcock always... I, yes, I would have probably phoned the police and said this girl jumped or something like that yeah. and made some other nonsense up. You go with what you've got, and I think it's got great performances, very stylishly put together. The twist is in the wrong place. Other than that, that's really good. Darren, you're fairly quiet. Have I convinced you? I have, I have, I have no idea what to say to any of that. I, 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 the, 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 film is called, the film is called The Lie, and I think you, that's what you're doing now. <laughs> well, I, I, I think also we need to put a health disclaimer on this at the beginning of this program that you're going to compare an awful film to a Coen Brothers film. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Did you watch this while you were on cocaine, Jeff? I watched again, it again. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Let me just explain cocaine to you, Neil. It's a drug that makes you paranoid and hyper. I'm that already. I with don't it. need any artificial stimulants. Yeah, well, there we go. An interesting discussion, a wide variety of opinions, and I'm sure our listener will agree with a particular person. Is that a wide variety of opinions if four people agree and one doesn't? <laughs> One one good, one bad. Well, yeah. five bad. I mean, there was a wide variety of opinions on why it was so bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, guys. Well, thank you for all your thoughts on the lie. So let's go back to Netflix and talk about vampires versus the Bronx. What's poppin', y'all? It's your girl Gloria coming at you live. If you see a kid that's riding a bike two sizes too big for him, that's his little man trying to save the neighborhood. And speaking of saving the neighborhood, what's up with all these missing person flyers? Yo, check out the courthouse. They're turning it into apartments? Y'all know how this starts. Them white people with canvas bags? That's always the first sign. Hey, what you doing down here, bro? It's too late to fight back now. We are going to wipe you out like the vermin you are. We got vampires in the Bronx. Nobody gonna care that Slim disappeared. Why? Because he's a gangbanger? Nah, homie. Because he's from the Bronx, like us. There's a lot of things happening in this neighborhood right now. Keep your eyes open. All right. Yo, that was mad vague, dog. What do you uh, do for work? Real estate. Are you seriously out at night when you know there's a couple of vampires running around? We're gonna need some garlic and some wooden steaks, like right the hell now. Going to the nest and take out every last one of them. One night with you guys, and I already have vampires and thugs trying to kill me. Ah! 
Well, it's Goonies meets The Lost Boys meets Attack the Block as a group of young teenagers learn that vampires are taking over the neighbourhood. Armed with some classic vampire movies, they learn all they can in order to fight back. Jeff, as this has an element of politics in it with its comedy horror, did it work for you? Initially, yes. I loved the start of the film, the way it throws in loads of references to other things. I mean, F.W. Murnau, uh, the director of Nosferatu, is quoted as the the guy behind the vampires or the the agency behind the vampires. Alongside him is a picture of the real Vlad the Impaler. Uh, so that sort of thing. And I like the fact it was in 235.1, so it had an epic feel to the film rather than a lot of horror films, which go for a 185.1 ratio, sort of almost creating a claustrophobic atmosphere. So that was good fun. But then as it went along, it became more Lost Boys-ish. And in fact, it just kept stealing scene after scene and trope after trope from the Lost Boys when they're hanging from the ceiling, for example, even to the makeup when they become vampires. I felt the characterizations of the heroes was pretty thin. It sort of just bored me after a while. I mean, on the plus side, I thought any film with Shea Wiggerman's got to be worth seeing. Although the way they got, got rid of him out of this in the Renfield-type role, I thought was really disappointing and just very poor writing. Sarah Gaydon, I thought was good. She's experienced on vampire movies, being in Dracula Untold before this. You know, and the whole subplot of the vampires being all white, trying to throw the poor black people out of their neighbourhood, I thought was very good, very anti-Trump. But it just runs out of steam for me. It's not the classic the lie was. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) disappointed. (laughs) Darren, Darren, over to you. Yeah, I really like this. I mean, one of the things I like about any film, but particularly a horror movie, is if you have some sort of substance, something that it's about and not just about the sort of the monsters having I mean, some sort of, you know, social subtext or something. And the fact that the, the film was basically about, you know, the gentrification of, of neighbourhoods, of, of driving the people out of there, you know. And, and I don't think it was necessarily um, anti-Trump. I think it was sort of like anti-capitalism. It's something that's basically been going on for about like you know you know thirty odd years. Got a lot of humour out of this. I mean, the, the, the one scene where the uh, there was a shop about to be opened and they couldn't figure out what the shop was actually selling. They didn't know whether it was going to be a clothes shop or a um, or a food shop or anything. And it's that sort of um, really you know white c- commercialism that sort of in the whole sort of neighbourhood thing. I, I thought it was really really funny. And and the whole thing, you know, the, 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 what was a, a metaphor? Yeah, you know, the fact that the uh, these were vampires coming in and they were sucking the, pretty much sucking the life out of the neighbourhood. And, and there were so many metaphors in here. I I, re- I really did like as well how the, the ending. It basically it was a case of the whole neighbourhood, all these different, you know, even the gangs and everything and all these uh, were, were coming together and working together to sort of like, you know, uh, as a community to, to, you know, to come together. I, you know, I, I thought that was really great. But, you know, I, I like all the sort of, you know, the stuff with the kids, how they um, to uh, pro- proactive themselves in trying to like organise a, a an event to sort of, you know, to save one of the, the stores and they also had the um, them trying to impress girls and everything like that. You know, these were just sort of, you know, normal kids and, the fact that they um, 
to take on the vampires. They were watching Blade movies, and Blade, of course, is sort of you know, a, 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 you know, a yeah. black iconic right. character itself. You know, just little things like that. I just thought, you know, was, I just really, really enjoyed it because there was so much going on behind the scenes. And yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I really enjoyed this one. Did any of the children stand out for you, though? Not that I can think of. Can't really think that they had sort of any of these distinct personalities, but yeah, maybe maybe you got a point on that one. Again, you compare it to the Lost Boys, and you had the heroes, but you had those two young lads, you know, that knew all about the vampires and Santa Clara. I thought they had distinct personalities, whereas these three just didn't seem to have it. They just didn't engage. I think Graham. I loved it. I thought it was a charming low-budget film. I actually liked The Three Kids. I thought they came across as a fun cross between Stranger Things and classic Hammer Horror. It was a bit campy. It was great so, fun. So which one stood out for you, then? Um, the main guy, Jaden Mitchell, was it? Or the guy who played Miguel. He stood out for me. And I just thought the three of them worked together well. I thought, you know, they had a dynamic. They were all being raised by their mothers. They all hung out in the same place. They were obviously, you know, very fond of one another, but they had a lot going on in their lives. And again, I agree with Aaron that, you know, trying to chat up the girls, you know, and being impressed that the girl was 16 and she was hanging around with them was a big, big bonus for them. I thought that was really funny. I liked the sort of they they took all these sort of elements and brought it into the 21st century with sort of gang culture and the, the girl who was live streaming her um, sort of video blog. I thought that was all great fun. And it made the Bronx feel a very modern, you know, I thought they laid on a bit the uh, gentrification piece. But yeah, I thought it was great. It was good silly family entertainment and i thought the director took his time building up the characters and letting us get a flavor of city life before we get to the final showdown i thought it was wonderful wonderful i'm just thinking back on darren's comments when he said about the vampires sucking the life out of the neighborhood which didn't mm. occur to me when i was watching mm. it but i do think that is uh, a very clever analysis neil yeah i actually enjoyed this one it's um yeah, uh, I mean, vampires are a source of gentrification. Why Why wouldn't you? <laughs> it's, I, I liked Attack the Block as well, and this one sort of similar vein, kids getting involved, etc., in a, in a, in a, uh, a very poor neighbourhood. Good-natured fun. I, I thought it's just, it's it's witty. A team of youngsters work well together. I don't think I could pick one out. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Do you guess my question? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the... Um, this sort of witty comments and everything. White people with canvas bags. That's always the first sign. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a canvas bag. Yeah. Yeah, yeah me too. Not. And we're white. Um, yeah, the, violence is, the violence is low-key. The beginning, one of the characters reading Salem's Lots. There's there's all sorts of bits and bilbs in it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great fun. I described it in my review as as like a kind of it's a snack of a film. So it's it's really quick and short. It's eighty five minutes long. It's quite enjoyable, but I kind of felt a bit empty and like needing a bit more afterwards. It didn't mm. quite hit the spot, and I'm not sure that I needed more of that film or just of something else. Did you think though, Phil, that it had a real burst to start with, and then it just sort of stalled? Well, I felt it kind of trickled along at the same sort of speed and one of the things that was my biggest 
downside for it is the fact that the vampires are barely actually in it. So you mentioned the Renfield character who is in it quite a bit and he's very good. But the actual vampires themselves are barely in it. They hardly register. You know, I don't know if that's a budget thing. Obviously, you know, the, the, the sort of final confrontation at the end is quite short and quick. Uh, you mentioned the actress's name, and she's the only um, one of the vampires who actually even has a character. Yeah, Sarah um, Gaiden. It was occasionally funny. Um, you know, the guys have all mentioned all the little sort of quirky moments. The best bit for me was the Blade and Nosferatu references. I thought they were great. We've mentioned Attack the Block as well. I think that that's the film that it most reminded me of. You know, a group of teenagers in a deprived area sort of defending their home against invaders. I prefer Attack the Block. I'd rather watch that again than this. Okay. So it's seven minutes shorter than The Lie. Yeah, and if you know this, felt longer. Like, you know, th- this is this is brisk compared to the lie. The, the lie felt like you know seven hour like boring a fun. <laughs> yeah, like Wagner's the ring. Yeah, with your foot stuck in a bear trap all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, final thing on you then, Phil. Uh, I mean, would you? How would you compare this to something like The Lost Boys, which it's clearly copying? I don't hold The Lost Boys up in great reverence, I'm afraid. It's not a film I've ever really liked, and I feel like a traitor to my generation saying that. Probably on a par with The Lost Boys, but I don't really like The Lost Boys. So to me, you know, the film that it matches closer to is Attack the Block, but obviously that's not vampires, it's aliens. So, Yeah, interesting discussion again. That was Vampire versus the Bronx. So let's go 80s, guys, and it's classic vampires for our last two movies. Let's start with Vamp. Did you ever have one of those nights? Hey, where are we going? Ah, Doesn't matter. What counts is that you're my buddy. (laughs) My day didn't start off too well. We be looking for ya. Are we chunky tonight? And then it got worse. We're here. And then, gentlemen, I give you Katrina. You're just what I'm looking for. Why'd you pick on us? It's a mistake. It was a little error there, a little communication error. I'm sorry. God, you look awful. What happened to you? I was nearly hung. I got into a fight with a psychotic albino. I ate a cockroach, my best friend disappeared, and then I'm nearly assassinated by a runaway elevator. Anyone can have an off night? This is fantastic! Vamp, a comedy with bite. And of course, Grace Jones. This is a cult classic. I said cult, Graham, no need to cut. (laughs) It was certainly an influence on Quentin Tarantino. Two student friends offer to get top quality exotic dancers if they can join a frat house. To complete the bargain, student AJ, played by Robert Russler, takes them to the seedy side of town. He finds the seemingly perfect club and the seemingly perfect stripper in Katrina, played by Grace Jones. Except this club 
is a vampire nest where you can enter but can never leave. Graham, did this 80s comedy horror with strippers raise at least a smile from you? Oh, dear. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, to go back to the uh, Chicago 7, leading the witness, I think that's called. <laughs> it was fine. It's it's a very 80s corny comedy with some good dialogue and some fun set pieces. But the two leads, I thought, worked well together. It's, uh, it's the 80s. It's not a great movie, but it's um, time, you know, it's okay-ish. I did like D.D. Pfeiffer the, and the Is She, Isn't She a Vampire? I thought that was fun. Grace Jones is about the only memorable person in the whole movie. I disagree with that completely. But um, I, I did like the um, rundown nature of the environment and that the vampires had been reduced from sort of aristocracy to low life. It was fine. Very dated, though. Very dated. Um, great practical effects, but not as good as the next film we're going to talk about. It was good fun. I wasn't bored. I thought it was okay. Okay, and I take it you saw the connection to From Dust Till Dawn. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. And on that subject, over to you, Phil. You have to bear with me. If I if I confuse this film and the next film we're going to discuss at any point, just shout it out, because they're so similar. And... I have to say, I made some notes on both of these films, and my notes for this film make this film sound considerably better than the next film, but I definitely enjoyed the next film more, which is odd. Um, I really liked quite a few things in this film. It's got a really great start. You have like this kind of ceremony that makes you think that sort of dangerous, horrible things are happening, and it turns out... Sorry, Phil, to cut in on you. Do you know whose voice it was giving out that monologue on the tape? Christopher Plummer. Okay. Did he have to get subbed in for somebody else? No, I think they lifted <laughs> it from another film he did. <laughs> and, uh, an emergency so, plumber. So it starts really well, it, and that really sets the tone, that kind of opening sort of thing of like it looks like a quintessential horror film, but then it actually turns into a sort of teenage joke about frat houses. I think it really sets the tone well. The three sort of teen leads and i put teen in inverted commas there graham um <laughs> i think are really good and i think they actually work really well together and they deserve to be in a better film and actually what i would say is is if you lifted the teen teen actors the teen characters out of this film and put them in the next film it would make the next film even better than i thought it was but there were like little moments like the uh, mobile phone at the beginning i thought that was great <laughs> the sort of final conversation between the two friends and the death scenes in this were really good. And I really loved the vampire bar manager who lamented um, the fact that he'd never managed to go to Vegas and he was classy and he wanted to go to Vegas. I thought that was really good. (laughs) That was brilliant. Um, You've mentioned the From Dusk Till Dawn theme. So I've never seen Vamp before. And do you know what? Yeah, it's a pretty decent film. It's good fun to watch. It is a bit dated from a, you know, effects and sort of you know from its time and stuff but i'm so happy it's, it exists because tarantino must have watched this and just thought do you know what i can do this much much better and he did we should be thanking it just for that it's good fun i you know i laughed quite a bit the villains didn't do it for me and, and that's something that in this film all the good guys, like the teens and stuff, are really fun and funny and, you know, interesting. But the villains just aren't that interesting or great. Grace Jones doesn't do it for me, I'm afraid. She, she wasn't interesting at all. And that 
is for me its biggest failure. It just doesn't have the villains. Can I just clarify something you said there? You think From Dust Till Dawn is a better film than Vamp? Yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, fair enough. No, no, I just wanted to clarify that, Neil. Um, I thought it was, it was better than I thought it would be. I was expecting the worst. I actually started to enjoy myself. It's um, it's got its uh, good what, Watching the strippers. Yeah. No. <laughs> the, the two, as, as said before, the two college boys work well together. There's some funny lines. There's a decent twist. Um, the saturated colours were a bit much. Grace Jones is insane. Period. <laughs> I don't think she's acting. <laughs> I don't think she's like, no, I don't think she is. Definitely creepy in places, uh, but strangely fun. Quite enjoyable. Excellent, Darren. I think I first I first saw this when it was first shown on television. So I'm, I'm probably around the early nineties, maybe late eighties, when it was shown, and I enjoyed this a lot more now than I saw it way back then. I hear the word sort of calling a film dated quite a lot. When I watch a lot of these 80s movies, I actually find them mostly really refreshing because they're so different to what you get nowadays. And not necessarily that they're better, but they just look so different. One of the things I loved about this film, I actually really liked the use of colour. And I like that in the night scenes, they had mm. this like neon glow about them of sort of like greens and purples and everything. Now, nowadays, if they filmed and made a film like this, it'd just be sort of dark. Whereas back then, even like in the sewer scenes and everything as they're going around the town, they just it just had this sort of like these these like massive neon like lights that just I, I just found really really refreshing and made it interesting for me. As well, liked how there was just this like little spooky thing about the, the whole town that we're in but it wasn't just the uh, the strip joint that was basically overrun by vampires you have the little girl these weird things going on at night with the uh, the dumpster truck and also this milk van that was making deliveries like it's sort of in the early hours of the, the morning i thought there was something maybe a bit sinister going on there i thought maybe it's delivering blood instead of milk but one of the things that i found really striking was grace jones in that dance scene she did and i did find it a bit odd that they're also to like reacting as if it's this really really sexy dance which i didn't particularly think it, it was she wasn't really doing anything but her look you know with the sort of you know the, the white paint all over and, and the, the red wig she just looks so alien and, and exotic I, I just thought she looked she looked just bizarre but so stri- you know, it's so striking, and and I I actually re- really enjoyed this film. Quite a bit of eighties uh, humor, you know, sort of a little bit of the old uh, Animal House bit. Right, there was a scene where we were trying to get into another fraternity, and one of them was saying, "Well, why do we need to do that?" And the guy just opened the door, and there was just all this madness going on outside, <laughs> and that was it. Just just for that, I, I just for, for things like that. I'm with you. I thought all all that was was really good, and the look of the film, as you say, it's that moment where, from that moment where the car spins around, when he says we're not in Kansas anymore, and then suddenly all the lighting changes, so mm. it's like you're in another world. And in fact, if you look at this, it's almost like Vampires versus the Bronx. Had they taken over, this is what it would have been like. You know, this whole other area where the vampires control. You could almost turn the story inside out. So you've got the fun story we've all spoken about. But from the vampire's point of view, uh, as you said, Graham, aristocracy that's you know gone to seed, they're just hiding out in this area. You know, they've taken it over. They know the police will never go in. Nobody cares about it. And, and that's all they've got left. So it's quite a sad story from their perspective. But 
I loved the interplay between Chris Makepeace and uh, Robert Russler. I thought that was great. That initial dialogue of what they can get for the frat house and Chris Makepeace is trying to tell him no. You know, the Dee Dee Pfeiffer thing, I thought she was really good. Best uh, thing she ever did. I just want to mention one thing where the characterization doesn't work because I've said recently on a couple of films, The Broken Hearts Gallery and Booksmart, that I felt the characters are over the top too fast and it just puts you out of the movie. And Gede uh, Watanbe does much the same here. His character is just crazy from the get-go, whereas the others are fun and they drag you in. He is just screaming in your face. And, and that was the one note for me that didn't work. I think Venk is a better screenwriter than director. But that said, it was just great fun all the way through. Everything everybody said about, you know, we, we've all picked out individual characters and they really work. And even down to that last line, you know, that last moment in the film where they're walking on the surface and the vampire guys underneath, well, I can go to night school. All of that is great. Jonathan Elias's music score as well. It's fantastic. I think the 80s was a great time for horror comedy. And this one is very much underappreciated. And to go back to what we said earlier, far better than From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll back him up on that. Thank oh, you. Oh, we should. It's uh, right. Okay. Time to move on. Let's continue talking 80s comedy horror as we return to the original Fright Night. Mom, there are people next door. Oh, I guess the new owner's moving in. Supposed to be very attractive. There are two guys out in the yard, and I think they're carrying a coffin. Charlie, do you want to make love or not? There was a murder last night. Charlie thinks he saw the victim in this house. I saw him carry her body out in a plastic bag. The guy did have fangs, and a bat did fly over my head, and a second later, he stepped out of the shadows. Now, don't you see what that means? Wait, let me guess. What? I have a vampire living next door to me, and he's going to kill me if I don't protect myself. Hello, Charlie. Right now! How would you feel if you found out that the person living next door to you was a strange supernatural creature? No, Jeff, I'm not talking about Neil's neighbours. The poor person is teenager Charlie Brewster, William Ragsdale, and the neighbour is centuries-old vampire Jerry Dandridge, Chris Sarandon. What can Charlie do when no one, including his family, believes him? In fact, the only person who does is the very deadly Dandridge. Phil, does this movie hold up over 30 years later? Yeah, I mean, I actually really enjoyed this. I've not seen this. And, and the, the testament I'll give to this is that I'm going to find the remake because I want to see the remake and see how that holds up as well. Vamp was made after this. And um, I watched these films on two consecutive evenings. And what I think works in Vamp is the good guys. They're really funny and they've got great camaraderie and friendship, and you believe that friendship? In this, I really didn't like the main character. His friend, the comic relief guy, was mm. literally the worst thing in the film. I really wish he wasn't in the film. Jeff, you, men- you mentioned that guy in Vamp who you felt was like over the top. Oh, my Lord, what did you think about this guy? 
Stephen Jeffries. Do you know what happened to him? He, he did a couple of horror movies, then changed career and made hardcore gay porn movies. <laughs> so the negatives for me straight off the bat are I didn't like the main character. I didn't believe his friendship with his awful comic relief friend. And I didn't really believe his um, relationship with his girlfriend. I thought he was a horrible boyfriend. Whereas all of that, I think, works in Vamp. But what makes this better for me is the Peter Cushing character, um, who I don't know who is played by. Is it Roddy McDowell, was it? Or? Yeah. yeah. So, so essentially, I feel like they clearly would have wanted Peter Cushing for this role because he, he plays the TV personality who's essentially modelled on Peter Cushing. I thought his makeup to make him look like that was really, really good. His character's great. He kind of believes that he's like this, you know, great actor, and um, he starts off initially scared, and he plays a pivotal role in, you know, the the vampire hunt kind of thing. I think he was really good, and then I think the villain, the actual big bad, was really ominous and imposing. So the way that he kind of pushed himself into the family's um, life and kind of you know made those threats and things, you know, it, it was like a proper villain sort of thing. So if I could take that mash of I'll take the good guys from Vamp and the bad guys from this, I'll stick them in this film because I liked the the concept of the neighbour who moves in. Um, you know, it's kind of like the Burbs or um, even uh, Hubie Halloween that's obviously happened recently is, you know, that's kind of the, one of the things that um, Adam Sandler takes for that film. And I thought that really worked, like the kind of the tension the villain sort of was ominous presence on on these guys' lives. Again, like Vamp, it's, you know, it's quite funny in places. And yeah, I'm going to track down the remake with Colin Farrell and just see where how it compares. I'm interested in you saying about Peter Cushing. The the actor they originally wanted for that part was Vincent Price, and Price turned them down, and he recommended Roddy McDowell. The character was clearly based on Cushing, right? Because he even had like the silver sort of hair and, and the clothing that Cushing would have done as Van Helsing. Yeah, no, that that's fair. So it makes you wonder why they offered it to, to him first. I guess at that time, I mean, Peter Cushing was still alive at that point. He was making awful films like Biggles by this time, but possibly he didn't want to travel. But I know they offered it to Price. Darren? I think I first saw this in the early 90s as well. And I think when I watched it, the, the first time, I, I, I kind of thought it was a bit corny and a little bit quaint. Looking at watching it again, looking now, you can see that it's basically taking the old um, Hammer House traditions of movie and putting them into a, a you know a, a, a 20th century a, a, a environment. It, even down to the um, you having the vampires turning to bats, which is something which is kind of a, a bit of a folklore that is uh, often missed nowadays. There's, there's not that many vampire mm. movies that um, that that has that, so it really goes old school. I, I've got, I've got to say, I, I'm, I'm in total agreement about the actual, the, the main cast, the young lad who is meant to be our lead. He absolutely does nothing at all, apart from seeing what, uh, seeing what happens and getting scared. Every, every move that's made in this film is done by um, uh, Roddy McDowell, and I think he has mm. a far greater. St- line in there because he is a character he, he's put in that position where he's obviously broken everything and he has to become the the, uh, the character that he's been playing all these years i think that's a really interesting thing and obviously he's the one that's scared he uh, he's the one that he could basically walk away from all this but he kind of finds 
finds his courage, he finds his heroic self, and I think he has a you know a far better storyline. The um, I will disagree about the the young lad though, uh, the the uh, because he is really annoying and and awful. But I think that sort of plays good into the story because when he becomes a vampire. You don't mind. <laughs> you kind of, you kind of want, you know, you, you kind of quite happy for him to get killed and everything. So I, I, I in that respect, I think that's what I, you know. I, I didn't dislike him being so unlikable. I found it really satisfying when he uh, got his. And incidentally, that death scene he has was great. You know, when he sort of turns from the wolf back into human, it's not, I won't say it's as good as uh, American Werewolf in London, but some of the special effects in that were, were, were really striking. It's the sort of thing that, Nowadays, it'd be all CGI and it would lose its its power. But you know, because it was sort of done like sort of with practical effects, I you know, I I really liked that. Chris Sarandon as as well, though. To me, he had this presence about him and this arrogance and smugness that he would have made a really good sort of modern Dracula. And there was a little bit of humor about him as well. But I, I can see why this became a, a cult classic, particularly at the time because. In fact, he actually sort of references this in the film. At that time when it was made, the uh, horror was basically all about serial killers like, you, you know, your Jason, your, your Freddy, your Michael Myers, sort of thing. And he actually referenced that in there where the, um, where the Roddy McDowell character, he's, he's lost his job as a uh, as a horror host because basically they're not, no one's interested in vampire or horror movies anymore. And he actually mentions that they just want films with slashers with uh, guys wearing hockey masks. So I think this, this for its time was quite sort of like a um, rebelling against the current trends, which is always a, sort of a good thing. But um, so, so yeah, I, I did like it. It's, it's one that I would say I probably appreciate more than I actually sort of really love. Excellent. There, there was a direct sequel to this film, Fright Night 2, but I really would avoid it. It is awful. Everything they got right in this, they got wrong in that. So that's a shame. Neil? I mean, the first line I put of my notes um, when I watched it was appalling acting. Um, <laughs> but uh, as soon as Roddy Wittell turned up, he, he sort of um, it all sort of improved. I thought he was fantastic. It was nice to see Prince Humperdinck as uh, a vampire. It really was quite good fun. The special effects, I thought, were excellent. It's slightly unreal. I mean, where did Evil Ed's... What, what part of having a vampire live next door to you is unreal then, no? <laughs> no, but where did Evil Ed's body go? I mean, he's dead. He's lying in a... And six shots was fired and in a quiet neighbourhood before 6am in the morning and nobody oh, sort of mentions it. OK, <laughs> let's let's move on. Yeah, um, no, 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 no. Before we do that, did you not notice when they went to the house next door... At the end, it had turned into some horror mansion with fog all around it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, good point. Good point. I thought it was very good. It's in a world where no one believes in vampires. And, yeah, I guess if no one believes them, they can kill people and dispose of bodies in a plastic bag. Uh, it's not top quality. It is good fun. It doesn't seem to take itself too seriously, which is also a bonus. Definitely didn't take itself seriously. Graham. Oh yeah, I, I just echo everything. Everything everybody said. I just thought it was great, fun movie, excellent, silly, um, and one that really should be brought out every Halloween. It's you know, it's it's quite scary. I thought the vampire was great. I thought his familiar was great as well. Loved Roddy McDowell playing absolutely <laughs> bonkers sort of Peter Cushing impression, you know, the whole Van Helsing role, thought that was hilarious. I loved the end with them in the cellar 
and how they uh, trapped the vampire there. I thought that was great. And yeah, incredible practical effects, as everybody else has said. I could not believe the wolf transformation. That was excellently done. Excellently done. Great one. Whoever recommended this one. Yep. Well done. Yes, full congratulations to everyone. <laughs> um, wonder who did. Uh, who recommended it? Sorry, I'll take that ball back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What idiot yeah. recommended this? Oh, Graham, it's an 80s movie. Who else would recommend it? <laughs> oh, um, direct, writer-director Tom Holland clearly has a love of horror movies, that, that old feeling of, uh, of, you know, you're watching made-up films with Roddy McDowell on the TV, cut in with Scars of Dracula, the Christopher Lee film, the Hammer movie. So I thought all of that was great fun. It had loads of tributes to other horror movies, but didn't lay them on with the travel. For example, The Pencil Through the Hand is a reference to Evil Dead. And The Staircase, when you get into the house, is clearly inspired by the Toby Hooper version of Salem's Lot. So I think all of that, that's great fun. The cast weren't too bad. It's interesting what you're saying about Stephen Jeffries' as Evil Ed. And I felt in his performance that there was an underlying sympathy for the character because he's clearly been bullied all through his life. I mean, let's be fair, he deserved to be bullied for speaking like that. I felt there was something in there that was quite sad. And so when Dandridge turns him into a vampire, you could understand where he was coming from for it. So that was good. Ragsdale, I, I accept, is a leading character, was a bit of a non-entity, and clearly his career didn't get very far after that. Amanda Beers, I thought, was quite good, but nothing compared to the duo of the vampires. Sarandon was really good, and Jonathan Stark, and, and the gay subtext that was there, which was mm. referencing the AIDS epidemic of the time. Again, it's in there, but it's not in your face. So I thought that was really good. Uh, for me, Sarandon particularly, it was a career best performance. I, I just think he is absolutely amazing. And when Tom Holland went on to make his next film, which was Child's Play, uh, he made sure he had a part in there for Chris Sarandon. So, mm-hmm. great film, great film. Thanks for that fascinating discussion on Fright Night. Let's now go over to Darren's Dash. Okay, so first film up is Vivarium, and which I hope I've pronounced right. Uh, okay, this one is Imogen Poots and uh, Jesse Eisenberg uh, are a couple who visit a creepy estate agent who leads them to a weird suburb where all the houses are exactly the same, perfectly bland and inoffensive. The two aren't impressed by the, uh, the neighbourhood, so they uh, drive away. The only trouble is, as they're driving away, they find that they're going round and round in circles, and no matter how many turns they get, they always seem to end up back at the house that they've just been shown. Eventually, they run out of fuel and find that they're stranded there and they're forced to stay the night. Every time they try to escape this neighbourhood, they just keep ending up back at the same place time and time again. After being there a few days, boxes delivered one morning with a baby inside it and a note that for them to uh, regain their freedom, they have to bring up this baby. Now, the baby grows at this accelerated rate and becomes a seven-year-old really, really quickly. And this kid uh, speak, is really, really weird, really hyperactive and speaks with an adult voice, and actually mimicking the couple and screaming whenever it wants to be fed and makes their already awful existence miserable. Now, this film has a, um, a real Twilight Zone vibe 
I hope this is actually written by someone who is a either has a family and absolutely hates having to bring up kids, or somebody who's visited their friends and seen what them bringing up a family has uh, uh, made them do. It's a really grim movie. It's uh, you can see the subtext is all about the banality of having to basically um, start a family, what you have to sacrifice, all the, all the pressures that it brings on you, the mediocrity of living in a suburbia. It's very grim, but it is really, really enjoyable and funny in places in a sort of very, very dark sense. It sounds like the Stepford Wives. I, I didn't get that impression that it's like the Stepford uh, Wives at all. It's more about being trapped to be honest, and, and, and being trapped in sort of like you know, a, a vicious uh, you know, circle of having to sort of make sacrifices. And th- there's a there's a scene where the, um, the Jesse Eisenberg character uh, figures out that maybe the way to get out of his neighbourhood is actually to dig down and he co- becomes obsessed with digging, which she can sort of... You, you could almost sort of count that as being like sort of somebody becoming obsessed with gardening, that you know those very suburban pursuits. Like I say, it's very Twilighty type story, and you can see you know what it's trying to satirise and everything. The kid is great in it because the kid is absolutely annoying, creepy. You know, you you want to slap this little kid. The the thing about this film is you don't expect to get a lot of answers about what is actually going on. The message of of the film becomes really, really clear. It's very surreal. It's very disturbing, and it is a real downer. But I thought I thought this was like a, you know a, re- a really, really sort of good movie. Where did you watch that? Oh, that's on. Um, it's currently on Shudder. It was supposed to have got a, a cinematic release, but obviously COVID um, put an end to cinemas. Well, you sold me on that one, Darren. I would watch that. What's next? Okay, so next up is Girls with Balls. Now, this is a um, a Netflix a film you will find on Netflix. It's a um, it's a French film. It's all about a ladies volleyball team who, after a uh, a game, they get lost in the woods and end up having to stop at a bar in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. And there, they run afoul of some weird uh, locals who turn out to have uh, cannibalistic tendencies. And they take uh, the whole team prisoner and they force him into a, a hunting game in the woods where basically they're given a head start and then they come after them with the intention of hunting them. It's not the most original premises. It's actually a very well-worn story. But the film has lots and lots of gory moments with lots of humour uh, and genuine horror mixed into it that makes it sort of, you know, really compelling. The thing that I actually liked about this uh, story is that there was a lot of sort of rivalries amongst the team and relationships and the situation they find themselves in brings all those to the to the top. Two of them are involved in a really, really sort of loving relationship, but the actual, you know, the the test of their relationship sort of pretty much fails in the situation that they find themselves in. There's one girl who is kind of like the bully of the team and she uh, turns out to be basically a, a coward through all this. There's a rivalry over the leadership of the team that that comes to the fore. There's also one of them who is pretty much basically just like the team mascot and she's like sort of a nerdy girl, but she basically finds a strength in the um, in the situation that she and she almost becomes a bit like you know a bit the warrior that saves the day. I actually really enjoy this. It's only a, a short little film. It's got some uh, little quirky inserts with this guy with a banjo sort of does the narrate, narration. The only thing that I sort of 
was disappointed by is that is that the ending just becomes a little bit messy and it just becomes pretty much a sort of standard like big battle scene at the end which you know it's uh, kind of found disappointing i was hoping for something a little bit more original towards the end but if you like cheapy but weird over-the-top b-movie flicks i think you'll sort of enjoy this if you're if you're not into that sort of thing you'll probably sort of like not last the whole film you know i really enjoy this one i thought it was just a, you know just a, a, a lot of fun okay what's what's next host this is what you'll call a zoom horror movie and it's actually made recently because it's set during lockdown in the uk so this is uh, all about a bunch of mostly female friends who uh, are basically, they're all in lockdown. They're all basically sort of getting together on uh, Zoom one evening and they organise a, a live seance with a um, someone who uh, claims to be uh, a, a mystic. So they're all basically sort of gossiping and chatting and catching up and some of them are taking this seance seriously, some of them aren't. And uh, as, as the night goes on, weird things start to happen. And it turns soon becomes clear that the uh, something has been inadvertently released and is stalking them all. Now, um, because it, like, like most people, because it was Halloween, I watched a lot of horror movies in the last week, and this was the only film to actually scare the hell out of me. So it really did its job well. It, it sort of reminded me slightly of the um, of the paranormal activity movies that when when they were, were the first few when they were actually sort of good and scary it's done really really well there's a really good pace to it because it all starts off very in, innocuous we just sort of like you know little sort of weird things happening and they, they sort of escalate and the characters you know because obviously they're all alone the scares really sort of start to come there's one moment in there where it really went my attention just went really, really over the top. Let's just say that the use of um, mobile phone filters come, in, come into play. And it's a very odd scene because I was watching, I was thinking, what, what the hell's that? What's going on? And then it, it twigged what was actually happening. And when that happened, it absolutely freaked me out. And from there, it's just non-stop heart racing moments. I was really impressed by this. I really, really do recommend this. And it's particularly if you're wanting to watch a movie that's basically going to scare you. I, I, I was so impressed with this. It's really, really timely. And there's just so many clever moments in there. And it is genuinely scary. Where was that one? Uh, again, that one's on Shudder. Yeah, I'd really like to see that, but you, you've sold that one to me completely. I think he's sold a Shudder subscription to you, hasn't he, Joe? <laughs> yeah, I think he has, actually. All I yeah. need is the time to watch them, and I'll be in there. But that I like. I really like the sound of that. If you do get Shudder, check out a film called Revenge. It was It's one of my favourite films of the last 10 years. Wow. Okay. So the last movie, and you, uh, you, uh, some of you are going to roll your eyes at this one, this is the You're banana split. You spoil my movie. childhood, aren't you? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is the banana splits movie. La 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 la. Okay. So, and now, if you don't know what that theme music was, it's basically in the late sixties. There was a show called the banana splits over in the uk actually used to wear in the 70s because i used to watch it on the morning and it was basically just like a, a variety show that had um, four zany weird animal characters 
uh, mixed in with a, a few cartoons and everything. Basically, movie is about what happened if that show um, was basically on today and was about to be cancelled. Basically, the film uh, follows a live recording of this show. And in it, all the animals are actually not played by people. They're actually animatronics. And there's basically a malfunction that causes the four characters to go on this murderous rampage and basically start killing the live audience. Now, a group of various um, fans survive and they basically got to try and make the way off the out of the studio and, and, and to safety. You've got a, a couple, of, a married couple who are like really obsessive fans. You've got a little kid who's like a big fan of it and wants to go there for his birthday party, except his parents are worried because they think he should have outgrown this show by now. You've got a little girl who's, she's like a talented singer, but the dad's trying to tickle her because he's trying to get her discovered and everything. So you've got all these ver- various um, you know characters in there. They have to fight their way through all the various colourful, really weird sets and, uh, and avoid the splits. And the, split, and the thing about this film is it is really, really gory. It's more gory than any of the films we've talked about already. At times, it, it, even though it's humour, it um, some of the kills actually... Um, that's actually almost like something you would get from Saw. You see people getting beheaded, you see people getting hammers swung into their faces, you get seeing people's limbs being torn off. It really goes all out. Now, the thing about this film is this could have been just like a one-note gag. It could have just had that premise and then just sort of like, you know, coasted. But it doesn't. The, 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 uh, you can tell the, the director, um, she really wanted to basically have lots and lots of different elements within this film. So, you know, there's, there's lots of twists along the way. You know, the, the sets are great, you know, because it takes basically like sets that you would get on a um, – on the kids' TV show, so you know the stuff that you'll get like on CBBS on Justin's house and all of this rubbish, and it makes them really, really scary places, and it makes for split scary. You know, the sort of you know because you know you look at the size of these things and with a sort of like the goofy you know it's, it's, it doesn't take long for them to sort of you know if you put an axe in their hands and they become really, really scary. I got this on DVD for for Christmas. And I just thought this was going to be one of these films. Yeah, it's a cute premise, but it, it, I'll be bored by the end of it. And I, and I personally really, really liked it. I thought we sort of like, you know, tried to do what they could with, with the premise. It's a, it's a great film. It, it, it reminds you of the banana splits, but totally subverts everything, you know. And I... I I I was really I really enjoyed this. Can't find it on any streaming services, but it is on um, on DVD and it is quite cheap. I think to rent on Amazon Prime. Probably going to be very divisive, but I found it a lot of fun. Uh, Phil, have you ever heard of the Banana Splits? No, I've, I was looking it up literally as Darren was talking about it. Um, no, I've I've heard of the the original thing. I've never heard of this film. No, I've never seen it. Thank you for that, Darren. Okay, out of all the films we've reviewed, which film would you rank above all the others this month? For me, it's got faults, but The Trial of the Chicago 7 still wins easily. Yep, and for me, Grand. The yeah. uh, Trial of the Chicago 7, brilliant film. Well, you know me, I always follow uh, Graham and Neil's lead, oh, so God. I also will be saying The Trial of the Chicago 7. Darren? I will go with the trial of a Chicago, Chicago 7, but I would say Host is really good as well. Phil? Yeah, it's Chicago 7. It's the best film this this month. 
That's He's the up. first time we've ever had a clean sweep of all of us yep. picking the same film. As for next month, we have a special treat for you in December and a special announcement will be made nearing the end of the month. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap and another At The Flicks is in the can. Neil, the listeners are still asking if it's you speaking or more of my excellent impression. I'll deal with you later when we release some knockdown. I think I use an, a nine iron. <laughs> is that a cricket reference? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and to everyone else, thanks for listening and goodbye. My name is Pussy Galore. I must be dreaming. <laughs>